I'm Brandon Bartnick, and this is the Future of Mobility Podcast. The Future of Mobility Podcast is focused on the pursuit of safe, sustainable, effective, and accessible transportation of goods and people. Given the critical nature of the world's climate and energy needs, these topics have never been more important, and they're certainly important to me. So, this podcast is a weekly interview series in which I learn from and put the spotlight on the people helping to develop and implement the technology required to move us forward. Who am I? As mentioned, my name is Brandon Bartnick, and I'm an engineer who realized that making a positive impact is the most important thing to me, both through this podcast and my career in the industry. If you're passionate about any of the topics I cover here, please feel free to reach out on LinkedIn or Twitter. I'd love to connect. Also, if you hear anything you like, please consider sharing the future mobility with a friend or colleague. This podcast is brought to you by Edison Manufacturing and Engineering. Technology innovation is great, but it doesn't mean anything if we can't bring our impactful products to life, which means we have to build them. And unfortunately, that's easier said than done, especially for startups and evolving companies that need a reliable option for low volume builds. That's where we come in. Edison is your turnkey manufacturing partner, specializing in build and assembly of highly complex products in annual volumes of 10 to tens of thousands, utilizing an agile and capital light approach. If you need a trusted manufacturing partner, then please visit us at edison-mfg.com or feel free to reach out to me directly at brandon.bartnick at edison-mfg.com or by visiting my LinkedIn page, Brandon Bartnick. Now to this week's episode. Today's guest is Todd Rome. Todd is CEO of Moke America. Moke America sells electric, low-speed vehicles, electric, street-legal, versatile um, that's Mokes essentially. So if you're familiar with the name Moke, then you know talk about it, you search search it online. Kind of cool looking vehicle. It's a yeah in, interesting discussion here. So the the market that they go after is uh, I don't know maybe, maybe not perfectly aligned or closely aligned with uh, what I typically cover for this podcast. But I think still still some interesting discussions here around how they're positioning the product and the potential merits of low-speed electric vehicles, especially if we try to extrapolate that um, outside of the, of this direct conversation. So I'll leave it there for now. Please enjoy the conversation with Todd Rome. Today, I'm joined by Todd Rome. Todd, thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I, I think a fun fun topic here and, and also a relevant one. So it's more, more than just fun, because I think it's, it's exciting. It's uh, a cool product and we'll talk about that but also i think this is a relevant part of the mobility ecosystem that you guys are addressing at, at moak america that uh, i'm excited to dive into so with that being said would you mind kind of setting the stage so what what, what are you doing what's kind of what's your background what when, how are you uh what are you doing with moak america now so my background is actually the opposite of what i'm currently doing i used to be the, uh, the president of a company called blue star jets which was a pretty well-known company uh that reinvented uh, the way people flew on jets 20 years ago by buying and selling the excess capacity. Uh, leaving aviation and coming into the electric car space uh, about 2016, I saw the opportunity. I believed in it. Uh, I saw in Europe, uh, everybody was talking about electric cars. We're here in the U.S. They were still making fun of Tesla, saying it would never work. Um, you know, We took an initiative early on. Uh, we believed in the future of it. Then we started hearing different countries around the world are changing their philosophies and rules where uh, you're going to have to have electric cars by 2025, 2030, and up to 2050 all around the world. 
So if you, if it's the electrification aspect, you know, electric vehicles are exciting to you. Why, why'd you pick the angle that you did? Or maybe, maybe you can explain kind of what, what you guys are doing too. Like what, why carve out this niche for yourself in the electric vehicle space? Sure. I was always fascinated with the mini milk. Um, and I always thought that there'd be an opportunity to bring it to America uh, and then uh, recreate it as a low speed electric vehicle uh, was the concept. At first, uh, there was hesitation. There was a lot of talk. What about gas? What about gas? And we said, we don't have gas here in the U.S. They're not street legal. Uh, we have a low-speed electric vehicle that meets the 17 points by the DOT and NHTSA. Um, it plugs into any 110 outlet. You charge it at night, and you're good to go the next day for 40 to 50 miles. Um, using the car myself uh, in several different markets. I use it in Miami. I use it out in the Hamptons in New York. Um, you know, I use the car all day and all night on one single charge. Hmm. Um, I love the fact that I don't have to go to a gas station. I love the fact that it's silent outside of a backup camera for safety. Um, and you really get to listen to your music instead of hearing a clunky type of sound in a car. It's just silence. It's just you in the air. Okay. Can you explain kind of this, this low speed electric vehicle um, space? So, so what does that actually mean? And I mean, so. I know. I, I think. So the, yeah, there's a category in the U.S. Uh, which we stand under, which is the low-speed electric vehicle category. These are vehicles uh, that can only be driven in uh, areas that are 35 miles an hour or less. The top speed has to be no more than 25 miles an hour, and it must meet a certain criteria to be street legal. There's about 17 points. Uh, we meet all of them from a three-point seatbelt, which the Moke never had in its past. Uh, down to certain type of glass, uh, lights, et cetera. Yeah. And, and so how is this different? So I, I think anyone who's been kind of around a beach area, you see people driving around on golf carts and, and things like that. So how, how is this this classification, this vehicle different than kind of a, that, that, that class, the, the golf cart class? This is definitely more of a designer gene. You know, a typical golf cart weighs 800 pounds with 2,300 pounds. A typical golf cart goes 15 to 18 miles an hour. Sometimes we go 25 miles an hour. Uh, you feel the safety of a car. Uh, you feel like you have metal around you. Uh, and you feel safe enough to go on the streets. Uh, I never felt safe taking a regular golf cart, what we call them grandpa's golf cart, and bringing them on the uh, American roads. Hmm. Uh, with a moke, I do it in several different markets. And it's, you know, as normal as can be. Yeah, it's it's interesting. Maybe let's. I'd be interested to talk through kind of this this process, right? So, and we've already touched on this, but so you're you're coming from the the private aviation space. You see, yeah, electrified vehicles. It's exciting potential product and space. How there's a lot of ways you even if you wanted to have a product like this, there's a lot of ways in which you could enter this market and try to position it and and put together a business plan, business case, all, all that. How can you talk through kind of that process of how you, how you approached that at the time and uh, chose to build this business? Yeah. I mean, like anything else, you have to learn and fail to succeed. Uh, I was out in Europe. I went to the auto show in Paris. I invited a bunch of men I've never met before in my life to a beautiful dinner. Uh, we ingratiated myself in an industry asked a million questions, got to know a little bit about the pitfalls, doing business overseas, et cetera. And, you know, with every little bit I learned, I learned more. And I can tell you now, seven or eight years later, it's everything from importation, 
Uh, it's building, shipping, delivering. It's in, in a climate that's been unique uh, with COVID, factories shut down, roads shut down to the ports, uh, container issues. Um, and we navigated around it uh, pretty well considering. Uh, and I think the key to that was really always just been very focused. Um, we were very focused on what we do. And we don't really veer off to the beaten path. We just stay on a straight line. And where where in that chain are you add, adding value versus where are you, um, you know, utilizing ex- existing products or working with a supply base? And so, such? so a combination of everything. We have a factory overseas that builds shells for us. Uh, here in the U.S., we have tons of parts that are added to the car. They all meet in Sarasota where we build them. So there'll be a family business in Ohio that services that builds the tops for us. Uh, there's another group in the Carolinas that build uh, other accessories for the vehicles. So throughout the U.S. is where really the assemblage happens. It happens on the West Coast as well as on the East Coast. And, you know, also as far as shipping and logistics and, you know, these are handmade custom cars that take a while, but worth it mm-hmm. when you get them. Yeah. And what's the kind of rough price point that we're talking about here? It's around twenty five thousand. Yeah. Well, and, and so so back to the the product development side. So, with, okay, you mentioned you got some some products here. You're buying from from different areas, including overseas and, and locally here. What what did this uh what what did this product development cycle look like? So you have you know to start the company in, in 2016. It you put an electrified propulsion system into this vehicle that uh, that, that previously didn't have one. That is this ground up? You know you're designing battery pack and and such are you looking for off-the-shelf components or is this stuff you did in-house or how how did this process take place we put together a team to help us through the process uh you know we even looked at two options whether it was a lithium option uh as well or what we currently do which is a a maintenance-free agm uh, gel battery Hmm. and ultimately we ended up going with the maintenance-free gel battery and i get asked all the time why didn't you go to the lithium and i really always felt that it was cost prohibitive for any added value that you got to the vehicle. Uh, we came out with a high-speed charger that now gives you the ability to go from zero to hero, you know, in less than eight hours. And typically our owners are charging them at night, using them throughout the day and enjoying them. Um, it made it a little bit harder for us, uh, but we, we felt that it was well worth it. Yeah. And what what uh what do volumes look like? Whether it's pr- production sales volumes, uh, where where are we talking at this point? We're currently building over two hundred and shipping and delivering per month. Cool, yeah, definitely getting past the uh, the phase of you know, a, a team, a small team who's coming together and figuring stuff out into kind of the, the real. I mean, it's not you know hundreds. There's, of thousands, you know, there's but, a lot of ups and downs, you know, along yeah. the journey. Uh, you know, with every success, there was three failures behind it. Yeah. And, you know, learning by trial and error. This was an industry I've never been in before. I had to learn by making mistakes. Thank God the mistakes were small. Um, it's not a simple process to come up with and deliver a low-speed electric vehicle that, that America is going to fall in love with. And that's going to be safe and secure. And people are going to be confident in it, in the future of it. And we did just that. And I'm pretty yeah. proud of it. And so who is, what's your uh, ideal target market look like? It's high-end, wealthy travelers, second, third, fourth homeowners. Uh, the boat world loves the Moak. Uh, you know, the Moak was known and loved in so many different countries around the world over different uh, periods of time over the past 50 years. 
But here in America, it was like the Cuban cigar. You couldn't bring it to America. It didn't meet our standards until we were willing to come up with a solution, uh, bringing them in as a low-speed electric vehicle, uh, you know, letting folks be able to charge it in a regular 110 outlet that they have in their home, mm-hmm. not have to install some special charging device, being able to charge it if they got stuck at any any place uh, in America as a 110 outlet. And that was very important to us. Also, the size of the car uh, was also important to us, uh, making it large enough where people in America would be able to fit. Uh, so we extended it a little bit in the back, a little bit on the sides, uh, and made changes that we thought were really strategic. Yeah. And you know, here we are today. Has there been much consumer education that's been required? And I think of like the the charging cycle in, in particular, and that you know people tend to, especially those and a lot of the listeners here are kind of in this uh, in the traditional kind of mainstream <coughs> electrified vehicle space. We're talking about. You know, high lithium ion batteries often high charge speeds and how quickly we can get charging. But I, I tend to agree with kind of the premise that you've had here of, yeah, you drive this thing. If it gives you enough mileage throughout the day that you can just charge it at night, then that solves your problem. You don't have to worry about how fast this thing's charging. You plug it into I'd your r- 110. I'd, r- I'd rather save the customer $5,000 for lithium yeah. batteries because they heard lithium batteries could be possibly be better. Yeah. Uh, a maintenance-free AGM battery is wonderful. You don't touch it. You don't have to add any water. It's not like a golf cart. Um, and we've had great success with it. Have you run into many of those, uh, I don't know, much, much of that consumer education that's required? Or is it more so the people who get it, get it, and those that don't, maybe it's not the right fit for them? They get it. <laughs> it's one of those cool, cool, iconic images. Uh, and we're a brand that, uh, you know, resonate with folks that are in the Hamptons, Miami Beach, Palm Beach. California is very, you know, electric car forward. Uh, they love the low-speed vehicles. The state of Florida loves low-speed electric vehicles. So as each state is becoming more and more familiar uh, with the category, it's just growing and growing. You know, we're seeing folks from Missouri, you know, to Wichita, Kansas, buying the car at this point. Um, but typically, they're wealthy, second, third homeowners, business owners, CEOs, rock stars, athletes. That's who's buying the cars. What is your uh, what's your growth plan or future plans look like from here? So you mentioned two hundred or so per month, and uh... yeah, we're growing straight up like a ruler. Uh, we're taking more and more space. Matter of fact, uh, uh, the first quarter of next year, uh, we plan to be able to double production. Uh, the following year, we think we can triple from where we are today. So we see tremendous, tremendous growth. Um, we also see a tremendous afterworld for the cars. There's so many cars on the road today. Uh, after the seven or eight years' success we've had, uh, you know, these folks are always going to want to change their tops. They're going to want different products, different accessories. You know, we saw that happen with the American Jeep. We're now mm-hmm. seeing it happen here at Moke America. There's that customization. It's that personalization. It's, it's, yep. it's, 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 it's just changing it. Yeah, and this is really interesting to me on like the the, the business and, and brand building side. So, so how did you or where's the balance between? So you you inherited uh inherited a brand or uh, that had some equity to it, right? That has a, an, an image, uh, had some success in in past circles. So you take that and you have kind of that tradition, that heritage that you're building off of. How, how what was what did your pro- approach look like to leverage that versus building your own kind of Milk America brand and and trying to to make it this cool. So the Mook itself was an iconic uh, 
an iconic image uh, originally used by the British military uh, on the battlegrounds. Mm -hmm. uh, Re-engineering it, redesigning it, modernizing it, but not modernizing it too much was pretty important to us. Uh, bringing it as an electric vehicle was also very important to us. Uh, we acquired the common law rights in 2016, uh, started uh, you know, just making molds and different concepts uh, where we started with a very basic idea all the way to where we are today, where we have the license for James Bond as well. Yeah. And how, uh, anything else you can talk about, kind of like marketing tactics or, or anything that's been particularly successful for you? Yeah, yeah. I mean, listen, partnerships are everything. Uh, yeah. Partnering with luxury brands throughout the world has been something that's helped us uh, tremendously. Uh, we originally got a call from Louis Vuitton in Paris. They wanted to do a pop-up store on Madison Avenue. We had the vehicle there early on when we first started. Uh, we've partnered with Saks. We've partnered with Norm, uh, Neiman Marcus, uh, James Bond I mentioned earlier. Uh, many, many, many high-end luxury brands because they think that they felt that their clients and our clients really were the same. So yep. it's high-end hotels, it's high-end resorts, and, you know, obviously all the major travel destinations. Yeah, and uh, so, so what, I imagine the market's not too different than what you were going after with the, the previous company, right, in the in the, the private aviation space. What, what did you, can you think of any, like, specific learnings from that experience that have been valuable to you kind of just the second time around building a company? Yeah, it's, listen, it's the same half of 1%, like you mentioned, that fly on private jets, that own two or three homes, that have their kids in private schools in the major cities. Uh, they own businesses. Maybe husband and wife may own the business. There's been tremendous, tremendous success in America, certainly in New York, Florida, California, and the major markets. Um, and there's tons of money around, and people are looking to enjoy their life and their lifestyle. I think COVID changed things tremendously. Yeah. Uh, we know sometimes we could be stuck in our homes and when we are, we like to do things with our with our family, uh, whether it's just putting around in a boat, maybe owning a moke, or you know, just fooling around in the backyard. But we saw a lot of that the past couple of years, and the sales have been through the roof. Have you faced so supply chain issues? Has been you know, it's been a challenge across the board, particularly electrified vehicle space. You know, talking about raw materials and sort and such. But a, a lot of those and a lot of those issues, you know, we're talking about lithium-ion battery materials we're talking about copper for electric motor stuff how to what extent has your supply chain been in fact been impacted or have you been able to stay clear of that based on the approach you've taken yeah i mean nobody's immune to it uh created delays uh one de uh, specific delay was the uh, ports at shanghai you weren't able to get in or get out for almost four weeks uh there's always been a, a part or two that is needed before it goes out the door that we were struggling during those times that most of the markets uh, overseas were closed. But overall, outside of a few month delay, uh, we weathered the storm. Uh, we weathered the storm of the cost of the containers going through the roof also. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, we haven't spoken about the shipping, but shipping to the U.S. over the past seven years not only has gone up, but also the duties have also gone up. So it's become very, very expensive uh, to bring in product from outside of the u.s but we've weathered the storm we continue to grow and we love what we do uh, is there a point where you be you start to think about um localization of the, the full product or is it always something that you think you'll have the, the shell and some component coming from um europe given the roots of the vehicle 
Yeah, I just I just think that it's always going to be uh, the way we do it currently. We seem to have a uh, a pretty good uh, way of delivering a final product in a decent amount of time relative to the market. Yeah, it's all it's all about that to us. Uh, if we can deliver any quicker, we would. Cool. Yeah, and and so if you I don't know if, if you don't mind uh, jump switch switching gears. So we've touched a couple of times on on the aviation space and uh, and what you had built there with Blue Star, but can you can you speak to uh, maybe in a bit more detail? So what what was the innovation there, and and how what did you do to kind of refine the market there? So in aviation, we noticed that I forgot what the exact percentage was, uh, but the every every plane that was on the tarmac was being underutilized. Um, if a family or a business group were going from New York to California and they're going to stay for five days, the question was, what do you do with the plane? It was cost prohibitive to take the plane from New York to California, then fly all the way back empty, then come a mm-hmm. week later to pick them up. And planes were typically flying, you know, four legs for a two-legged flight. So we created a market where we saw that Los Angeles, New York, Florida, we called it the Golden Triangle. If you left a plane there within two days, uh, it would be booked the other way. And we were able to save clients money uh, by offering what was called the dead leg or the empty yep. leg. And it was a big success. So it sounds sounds super simple and intuitive uh, <laughs> on the surface. You're just thinking about it from your utilization. About making flying private more affordable. Yeah, you know, and then it just it grew into you know multi billion dollar industry. I mean, are there are there any parallels? So I mean, like I don't know, logistics space, ride sharing. There's there's it's, other. It's, yeah, it's definitely there's a lot of that luxury travel space overlapping. Yeah, uh, the luxury customer, the international customer, um, business owners, CEOs, uh, entertainers, athletes. You know, that's who really loves and appreciates the most. I mean, and so with with, uh, with Blue Star, I mean, were there, were there any any specific insights that were required to actually make that practical? So, so yeah, I mentioned the, the idea makes sense intuitively, but there's, I imagine, some challenging kind of optimization and software problem because if you don't have the vehicle back well, or that back, you have the back plane then, back. there was no software. We, you know, we actually worked on telephones. It was 20 years really? ago when I started. Oh, yeah. So you would call around. Uh, to see what was on the field and, you know, what you had to work with. Uh, it was literally all done with fax machines and, and telephones when I first started. And so how, how different did that look then in 2015? Significantly different. Uh, there's now, uh, you know, the seat business is, is a big business where uh, people are sharing aircraft. I know it's a big run. Uh, Blade does it from New York to the Hamptons. It's been a big success. Yeah. Um, the cost of aviation is significantly higher today than when I was in the industry. Uh, you know, the price of gas is through, is really expensive. It's at an all-time high. They're having issues getting parts in aviation, and certainly they're having pilot issues as well. Yeah. Yeah, re- re- really, really interesting. I think that that part, and then what, what you're doing with Milk America, I think. Uh, have you? Have you had any pressures to um, extend? So one one of the things that's interesting is kind of how how narrowly focused you are in um, this kind of serving a specific market here with a product that it's, it seems like is appealing to them in the the use cases that they have in their everyday life. Have you had pressures to kind of expand that to the more uh, mass mass market? Or no, we like we like to keep it very boutique style, very one on one. We know each and every customer. Uh, it's a relationship business. 
Um, and that's the way we run it. How are, are there any other? Well, so I mean, so it's it's direct vehicle sales, and then you mentioned kind of aftermarket stuff. Um, the, those kind of the main revenue streams and kind of the, the that the cap or do you have any any plans outside of uh we, we also of- offer uh, we have another program also called WeMoke, um, which offers folks the ability to rent them in specific markets during specific times of the year hmm. but we're going to stay the course and do what we do which is build a great car uh that we're proud of that you know folks will have for years to come you know the children love it the adults love it so as long as everybody's happy this can go on for years to come Cool. Maybe just a couple kind of last. So I, I like to ask uh, about influences or like specifically kind of books that that guests have had that have been impactful. So is there anything that you've you've read through the years, or or you can expand any other resources that have had a big big impact on the way that you think or live, whether it's personally, professionally, or or anything. You know, I'm pretty well read. I read several newspapers a day, uh, but I would say more than reading any book, it was people that I met along the way. Uh, meeting with successful people uh, throughout my life and learning little bits from each and every one of them in their own industry and then adding, you know, what I believe in my own business uh, would make a difference. And the the common thing is passion. The common thing is love what you do. It's never stop. You know, when most people are out having a good time, you're still pounding and working and you're building your business. You'll have plenty of time to enjoy it down the road, but staying focused, you know, whether it's weight loss, building a business, or being successful at anything, you know, the word in the middle that everyone forgets about is a very long time. And it takes a very long time of constantly working out or constantly working on you know, building a business. And then ultimately, you will have that success. But over the short period of time, usually it doesn't feel like you're succeeding. So I think the, you know, the lie has to become the bigger lie before it becomes the truth. Yeah. On the uh, on the personal relationship side, any anything so yeah, me- meeting with people who are successful in different industries, gleaning from them what you can, having you know meaningful relationships, all all that type of stuff sound, sounds great. How and I imagine you know once once you're successful, it's a little easier to pick up the phone and uh, have a discussion with someone who else has has had success in their industry. But when you were uh, kind of coming up and built, building something, any particular uh, approaches you had or Anything you did well to try to kind of open those doors? Just be myself. Um, I really never put on a skit. I always believed in the product uh, that I was selling. I always believed that I was providing an alternative, uh, a better idea than something maybe they were doing with private aviation. I believed that the idea was better. Uh, it was cheaper, less expensive uh, to enjoy private aviation, renting by the hour than owning the aircraft or typical charter at your local airport. In uh, Moak, it's clearly obvious that, you know, electric cars are our future. Uh, We caught the early part of the curve. There will be changes as the years go on, but I'm happy to provide a product that is better for the environment. Uh, You don't have to schlep to a uh, gas station and wait in line. You don't have to be holding to a $6 a gallon gas, yet you can still get in the car and enjoy it and and have a good time. Yeah, cool. Well, Todd, I think this is... uh... Really, really cool product. I think this is a, a lot of a lot of fun talking with you and learning how you've how you approached this, what you've built, kind of what's what's being offered. Um, I don't know anything kind of just open floor. Anything that you'd want to leave um, someone listening to this? Anything that you're hoping they take away from the conversation? 
Yeah, I mean, I would just say, you know, for anyone who's on this call uh, and is building a business, you, you have to fail to succeed. You have to learn by mistake. And I think with every mistake that you make in business, you grow from it. And, you know, even when sometimes it may get dark, it eventually gets light. Yeah. Cool. Well, I think that's a, that's a great place to leave it. Well, Todd, th- thanks again. Really appreciate it. And uh, thanks best of luck to you. Well, there you have it. Hope you enjoyed that conversation with, with Todd Rump. So uh, to be, be transparent, I mean, not, not exactly the way I expect that to go. And as, as I've kind of learned more about uh, the exact market and talking to Todd here, hard to say that the, the product itself is actually tied uh, to safety sustainable mobility i mean yeah second third homeowners was probably a fifth vehicle or whatever it is and the, the cost of and carbon cost of manufacturing these vehicles not not great for the environment um so uh, i don't know i think this one definitely strays from the objective and mission of the of the podcast here with that being said still a few nuggets maybe that are interesting so the, the way todd transformed the private aviation industry the very targeted business model here of going after a specific niche market and doing that one thing really well i think founders and people looking to make an impact of all type can certainly learn from that i think that's a tried and true way to make an impact and then if you want to grow from there you can or you can kind of stay in that sweet spot for a long time and then the third thing as i, as I mentioned in the beginning uh, if, you, if you extrapolate this out for other use cases an electric or electrified low-speed vehicle can be a very sustainable option. It can be a mode of getting people around, serving a need that uh, is, is more sustainable than than other alternatives, and you don't have, need a huge battery pack, all these types of things. So, yeah, overall, like I said, definitely, definitely strayed uh, further probably than I'd like from the objective of the podcast here. Uh, but hopefully you still got something out of this. We'll get back closer to the scheduled programming next week. So appreciate you listening. And uh, yeah, please tune in next week. Thanks. Thank you for listening to the Future of Mobility podcast brought to you by Edison Manufacturing and Engineering. If you have a need for a trusted manufacturing partner for low volumes of highly complex products, then please visit us at edison-mfg.com or feel free to shoot me a note directly at brandon.bartnick at edison-mfg.com or visit my LinkedIn page, Brandon Bartnick. Edison specializes in build and assembly of highly complex products in annual volumes of 10 to tens of thousands, utilizing an agile and capital light approach. If you're making an impact in the mobility space, we'd love to help. Until next time, thank you for listening to the Future Mobility Podcast.